0: You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast.
1: Asalaamu Alaikum, you're tuned into Radio Ramadan and you're listening to Raising the Next Generation of Boys and Men. We see differences in the development development milestones, habits, behaviors, physical, mental, and emotional health and success rates between boys and girls. Girls develop language skills earlier, boys have more instances of diagnosed ADHD, girls get better exam results, boys are less likely to have the same support networks that girls have, and men are less likely to seek mental health services compared with women. So this series looks at the unique challenges associated with raising the next generation of Muslim boys and men, and in our second episode, we're going to be looking at the concept of masculinity, chivalry in Islam, and what makes a man. So I'm hosting, I'm your host, Abdul Wadud Sharif And uh, co-hosting with
2: me is Aman Durrani Aman, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, all good, Abdul Wadud, Jazakallah Khair And uh, as usual in the studio we have Sheikh Amr Jamil
0: Assalamu Alaikum
2: alaikum Asalaam And uh, Abdul Wadud, we have a guest joining us for this episode as well on the line
1: Yes, yeah, so we have uh, Brother Yasser from Al-Inayat A health and well-being consultancy based in Burnley Who should be on the line Asalaamu Alaikum Brother Yasser alaikum
3: <laughs> Asalaam Brother how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, mashallah, very good. Alhamdulillah,
1: good alhamdulillah. Well. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So, um, brother man, do you want to kick off uh, this this discussion about
2: chivalry and masculinity? There's a lot of discussion at the moment, um, certainly over the last few years, about this idea of masculinity. And there's lots of different terms which maybe we'll be touching upon, but there's idea of things called toxic masculinity. Um, I think we'll also perhaps touch upon things like the Me Too movement and stuff because I think these are really important um, in terms of concepts that we're talking about. So um, I wonder if you could just maybe come to yourself, Brother Yasser, um, can you tell us a bit about the nature of work that you do and the project you're involved in and any resonance with the topic that we're discussing today?
3: I think my organisation uh, is called Inaya Health and Wellbeing as the brother mentioned before uh, and my main role is, is a counsellor uh, and, and family mediator and uh, I have been doing this for over like 20 years working with families and individuals. I've worked quite a lot with young young men uh, and young girls within the educational sector uh, and the health sector uh, so that's my, my background and um, you know, from the perspectives that I'm coming from.
2: And are these mostly uh, people from ethnic minorities or Muslim backgrounds or mainstream or what sort of clientele do you have?
3: Yeah, I mean, traditionally, I, I, at the start, I, was, I worked with a lot of people from, uh, uh, you could say, across uh, across all communities. But particularly in the last six to seven years, I, I, my work has really become focused around the Muslim community uh, and particularly young, young, young Muslim boys and girls.
2: And um, from your perspective, and I don't know if this is too much of a strong term, but is there a crisis of masculinity amongst young Muslim males today?
3: I mean, that's quite a, that's quite a big question, isn't it, really? I mean, it, 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 it's quite a big question. What I don't want to do is kind of brush it over. I think there's a number of issues that we're experiencing with our youth, uh, and many times when we're looking at these issues we can particularly begin to focus just on the youth and 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 think that they are the ones who created this issue but many a times with young people it's they're a product of their environments and they're many a times a product of their parents uh and parents have brought them up in a particular way and society has created an environment in a, in a way that they've been brought up and they've just become a product of that now in terms of you know what are the what are we experiencing with young men or young boys today? Um, there's definitely a crisis in terms of their identity. Um, uh, you know, for some, for some people, depending on what kind of background they are. But generally, you know, what we are having is young men who are lacking a, a real sense of presence, a lack of self-assurance. Um, you know, the, the ability to be able to make decisions, to to, to have courage to make decisions. I think there's
2: definitely an element of that. That's that's really useful, and perhaps we'll explore some of these themes as we go on. Um, what I think would be useful, we've got three clips at the moment which we've got from different sources, um, and this, I think, will help us think about some of the issues or some of the discussions that are already going on in wider society and um, so three quite prominent people um, so see what you make of these sort of uh, clips and then we'll pick up the discussion um, with Abdul Wadud Sheikh Amr and our guest Yasser. So the three quite um, different clips So one was Barack Obama on what he was talking about men and I think there's really interesting parallels in terms of the idea of masculinity in terms of the black community particularly in the States Um, the second clip was by an Islamic uh, uh, speaker Yahya Ibrahim and the third was the comedian Bill Bailey so lots of different perspectives really just to set the scene Um, I'd like to just read you a couple of definitions actually so I was googling... um, Definition. So masculinity. So it says masculinity is the qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of men. And actually, interesting thing on Google, you can actually, it tells you the usage over time. So it's hardly used until the 1980s and 90s. And then there's a massive peak of this term masculinity in the last 10, 20 years. And chivalry, um, the definition is either a medieval knightly system with religious, moral and social code, um, or qualities of a, an ideal knight including courage, honour, courtesy, justice or courteous behaviour especially that of a man towards women <laughs> and when you look at the usage of that chivalry has actually declined since like the 1830s uh, through into the 1900s, 1950 and 2000s, actually, the decline. So it's interesting that the word masculinity in books and in online is used a lot more and chivalry is used a lot less. Um, so <coughs> you've confirmed there that quantifiably chivalry is dead then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Sheikh Cameron, I'd like to come to you in terms of some of these yeah. ideas. I guess one is this distinguishing feature of what's the difference between a male and being a man um, and your thoughts on that.
0: Alhamdulillah So I
2: think the second clip Was was quite
0: interesting Where he was kind of talking about um, The difference between Being called zakar Which is like male Versus rajul Which would be probably translated as man Um, (coughs) So being male is just Obviously your gender um, But being a man uh, Is something greater than that There's certain qualities That you have to have Before you're considered to be uh, a man and you you see this in Islamic texts being used the word Rijal Rijal so I'm gonna I'm going quote for example um, just one just so we understand it. this is um, from Abu Yazid al Bastami who was once asked when does a man attain the station of real men um, so again when do they attain the the, the rank of a Rijal so it's been translated here as real men so that's quite a good a good way of saying it. Um, and this was basically a, a term by spiritual masters to denote that a person had reached a high station with uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, regardless of their gender. So it wasn't like they were talking about the person's gender. It was basically people who have these qualities are considered to be men. Um, and he responded, he, his response was when he is aware of the failings of his own ego, his own nafs, only then will he have reached that state. So it's almost these like kind of um, <coughs> higher qualities. That like you're talking about, like Chevrolet, um, these kind of qualities that a person would have, um, noble qualities, and once they've attained that, then then they really are uh, ha- or have become like um, real men. Because this, this is hadith about like um, um, talking about um, like the, the one who's strong, like who is the strong one. And the Prophet said that the strong one is not the one who um, wrestles another person. So basically, making the point that, that strength true strength is not physical strength it's about being able to control yourself it's about to be able to be, being able to have um, patience when uh, things are difficult. Um, so in this quote uh, Yazid Bastami is basically saying that being manly is to um, to overcome your ego, to overcome your your nafs um, and to to get to know God. Uh, and not you, and not misuse obviously what God has given you. So if God has given you strength, physical strength, you can't use that to be unjust to other people. Um, and obviously in a, in the relationship, with in the previous programs we've been talking about between men and, and women, the obvious would be to use your strength to overpower um, somebody of the opposite gender. So that would not be considered <coughs> to be manly. I'd be considered to be cowardly.
2: And yes, sir, if I could come to you in this same, similar, this idea of what qualities distinguish between being a, a male and being a man. Um, and I wonder whether some of this conversation is around some people feeling that actually men nowadays are weak in in terms of you know the weakness about the the modern day man that is. You know into his grooming and his clothing and his um you know he can't stand up and be a real man or protect his family or protect this so you kind of hear that and I don't know whether that is coming from a lot of the feminist agenda if you can unpack this what a feminist means but this whole um societal move towards actually you know lessening the role of a male or or men and um, so i'd be, really be interested in your thoughts in terms of some of this idea of men being weak or feeble in in the, the modern day or what makes a man a man you know a man rather than just a male
3: yeah i think uh, there's a there's a term called um what commonly used with people say he's not a man he's just a boy with a beard you know mm-hmm. and um I think that's very, very common in like nowadays, where you have, you know, people who are developing on a, on a physical level, but emotionally and psychologically and spiritually, they're not growing or evolving with the age and stage of life that they're at. And I think that's an issue with myself working practically with young men, is that you have young men who are emotionally uh, very withdrawn, emotionally not um, lacking that intelligence. Uh, to deal with some of the issues that uh, they're experiencing at uh, 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 different stages of their lives. you know. And the, what sort of
2: problems does that lead to?
3: It, it leads to all sorts of problems within people's lives, whether it be that through work or through family life or through uh, married life, you know, uh, in particular, uh, where, you know, people are really struggling to step up, or young men are particularly struggling to step, step up to the challenge uh, of the... Family life, married life, work life. I mean, I use an example of of married life where we have uh, young men who are in marriages now who um, are not stepping up or not really coming to the fore and making the decisions that are being asked or required to be, you know, that they need to make, you know, uh, in their in the marriage, and that's causing issues within the, within the marriage itself.
2: How, how do we square that? I think that's a really interesting example, because how do we square that circle? Because certainly when I was growing up, there was a lot of people were saying, actually, you know, as practicing Muslims, you know, it's better to get married young now. There's so many temptations in society. There's so many, um, you know, uh, Opportunities to fall into sin So it's actually better You get married At a younger age So that you don't You know Make a halal type of thing You know If you, if you have feelings for um, Girls But then there's the idea That emotionally They're not mature enough uh, Never mind Sort of Economically Independent So So um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And then Sheikh I guess, from yourself as well, because you deal with a lot of that. But, um, Brother Yasu, what are your thoughts on that?
3: I, I think it's coming back to the home environment. It's where, where, how are we rearing these young boys to, beco- to, to become men. Uh, and I think that's where the fundamental problem is, is that rearing that mentoring is not taking place within, within the home setting um, to really encourage men on a practical level, emotional level, to to, to to develop and I think that's what's the problem, there's too much almost kind of uh that's going on, too much protectionism that's going on within the household that's leaving this young boy or man, whatever you want to call him, ill prepared to deal with, with life.
2: Sheikh your your thoughts on I guess the idea of um the impact that has on, on in relationships, you know, the idea of you know we encourage to get married young you know nowadays yeah. we're telling people we're giving them that one side is like get married young and, yeah, yeah. and on the other side they're not actually mature enough or emotionally intelligent enough
0: to Yeah so I mean o- obviously the, the, the issue probably that we have is that people f- mature physically before they mature mentally and then it's that trying to balance when is the is the right time to get them married if you don't get them married for a significant period of time then there's a danger of them obviously ending up in illicit relationships Are doing things which are not permissible Um, but the danger of marrying them too early is that they're not um, ready or capable uh, and and in effect they're boys rather than men so I think that's something that we need to kind of um, deal with in terms of how we're bringing up the next generation um, and kind of giving them more independence in their teenage years uh, making them ready and responsible for for marriage. I mean, there is this idea um, the ulama talk about the, what is the ruling on marriage, and if if the f- if if the person is um, uh, or has a fear that they will oppress their partner, uh, then it's makruh. It's actually makruh tahrimi for that person to get married. And if they're certain they'll oppress the other person, then it becomes unlawful. So there is this thing if you're if you know that you're going to, your behaviour is going to be oppressive towards your spouse. You should sort yourself out, but I think as a community and a, and a, and a kind of um, larger scale, it's about basically. I think we were talking about this. I um, can't remember which discussion we were. I had this idea of the seven stages, where it was Imam Ali's statement that for seven years play with them, and then for seven years teach them, and then the last seven years, which is basically from fourteen to twenty-one, your role becomes more as an advisor. Like you, you, you kind of uh, appreciate that they are actually adults. They're responsible, they're legally, Islamically, they're responsible for their own prayers and, uh, and actions. So at that point, it's about getting them to be to kind of um, emotionally ready. Um, and because, remember, I mean, you go back a couple of hundred years ago, people would get married at 16, 17, no problem, you know. So it's just that the 16 and 17-year-olds today are, are not like those 16, 17-year-olds. So it's obviously something's happened in society which is delaying that maturity. Um, and again, I think, like Yas are saying, it really does come from the parents and what what they are. I mean, the parents have a massive role in what they can be teaching their children. I mean, uh, I, I don't want to go back to Ertig a but because uh, <laughs> I was going to come on to that, but <laughs> l- later on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the reason the reason that I think that that's um, the reason I'm mentioning it is because obviously a lot of people can watch it and as a frame of reference, and they can they can like kind of make connections but if you look at the way so for example the way he's teaching his young child Gundos who's, who's only like must be about well seven or something six, seven years old but
2: yeah I'm not onto that
0: series yet alright okay anyway so, so
2: <laughs> what, just what, a spoiler, spoiler alert there
0: <laughs> so what mm-hmm. he does I mean what he does it's very interesting because when he goes away he he, you know, he's a six, seven year old kid but he says to him you've got responsibility now You're, I'm leaving you in charge Of your brothers, I'm leaving you in charge to look after the tent. So, obviously, all the adults are kind of, they they kind of laugh because they know it's all pretense, but he takes it really serious, you know, and he, he actually believes that, yes, I'm responsible for what goes on. So, he walks about with his little wooden sword and all the rest of it. So, what he's doing is, from a very young age, he's teaching him responsibility that you look you are responsible now for other people it's not just about you you, have, you know and you have a duty so he's already from a very young age bringing him up with those qualities
2: mm. I actually think Urtel's a whole game changer uh, you know actually in terms of generational perspective from a Muslim you know Muslim male and chivalry which we'll touch on
1: yeah, yeah. Abdul uh, No, d- I mean uh, just uh, touching on what Sheikh Hamr was saying you know the, I guess you know I completely agree that <clears throat> I think the way we are conditioned to believe that you know you have to grow up before you get married as well I mean me personally I don't entirely subscribe to that view that you know you're ever really ready for any of those events and you know a lot of a lot of I guess what being a man is quote-unquote is about just learning on the fly experiencing it because with that responsibility you'll you'll rise up to the to the challenge almost Uh, quite important in terms Mm -hmm. of when you look at from the kind of historic idea of what a man was in terms of the tribe and mm-hmm. a, a big thing is this whole idea of the rite of passage the fact that you're becoming a man uh, I think it was I was listening to a talk by Sheikh Hamza, and he was talking about this whole idea that adolescence was this kind of adolescence is this almost invented thing where we perpetuate the idea of childhood and what it's 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 seeping into
2: into like much older ages so Can you elaborate on that? Because just expl- All right. So uh, in Flesh term, that out of it Because I think that's a really yeah, important yeah. concept And a big change actually Yeah
1: yeah So I mean I think if I recall correctly You were saying that You know You were talking like 1900s This whole idea of Being a teenager You know Or being adolescent uh, Was kind of Almost invented Or you know Was perpetuated either way And uh, I think What's actually happening is that that's leaking on into later on in life, so it's not just confined to the teen years, but it's moving all the way into twenties, and now what you see is people that aren't ready to get married and they're way into their twenties, way into like you're you're starting to touch thirties now, and you, you get I'm sure you you know you've yeah. been in touch with people that they're all the way to their forties and they still feel like they're, they're they're they need to be looked after almost, and you know you talked about. I think, um, Jake, you mentioned a while ago. Maybe you can elaborate again on it. It was the whole idea of this really old man that, you know, was looking for a spouse, but he he himself was reliant on his mother, I think, or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a, it was a, a recent case where, where 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 um the guy's in his fifties and um, still kind of looking for his parental consent to um to to kind of get to approve of the the woman he wants to marry, kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So. But, I mean, it's I, I see it a lot. I mean, I'm, su- I'm sure Yasser sees it a lot because we're in a kind of similar field that you've got guys who are in their 30s and 40s and um, their mothers are still kind of modiculting them um, mm-hmm. and, they, and they just cannot... And, and the women are complaining that they're just not taking the lead role. And then what's <laughs> happening is now they've got children. So not only have they got this problem with the husband, but now um, the child doesn't have a good re- role model to mm-hmm. look up to either. Um, So I think it is really a
2: a problem which um, has to be addressed. Yeah, so any comments on some of the discussions we've just been having?
3: Yeah, no, actually, just just in terms of uh, what was coming to my mind was almost like with parenting many a time, I think parents start with... I don't think, you know, there's that saying about having... uh, starting with the end in mind. I think many Mm. times parents Mm. are rearing children not with any type of end in mind. You know, it's almost Mm. what are we trying to rear here? You know what type of man or what type of individual are we trying to uh, rear that's going to support, be able to support themselves, to contribute to society, uh, and ultimately serve His Lord. And what's happening is is that, like, you know, many a times we have young men uh, who are who are falling short because of the the home environments, which is you know definitely an area that I would begin, you know continuously pointing towards. Is we're not rearing you know men. To be able to deal with the issues that are going on and part of it is as many times as a conflict between the parents be that the mother and the father the mother has one particular way of rearing the son and the father has a very different way of rearing uh the son and that conflict in itself causes issues you know and leaves the young man in, in some sort of some sort of crisis and the crisis is whoever wins that battle and many times it's the the mother who wins that battle, and, and there's many times with the father wins that battle, but what it needs is parents being consistent mm-hmm. in terms of what is the end goal that we're looking here, or what is the end personality that we're looking uh, in our child.
1: Uh, we were discussing the whole idea about reading children and parents being on board with the same uh, and the kind of same goals of raising, uh, raising a child and competing visions or just on the fly, you know, not really having the end in mind, can lead to a whole host of problems for our youth, uh, our our male youth. So, uh, brother Yasser, do you have any any case studies uh, that you can share with us in terms of in your experience as a counsellor um, about you know some of the some of the issues that young men are facing? Uh,
3: some of the, young, I mean, there's a range of issues that young people are facing, and I think a lot of them are around. Um, self esteem and self image. Uh, I think then that translates into more uh, issues in terms of relationships. Uh, we as obviously, our young people having more and more relationships, and the relationships are getting, well, uh, younger, That's uh, mm-hmm. so what I mean about relationships is male-to-female kind of relationships. Okay. Uh, obviously, the complication that causes them, and then we have you know certain risk-taking behaviours, uh, be that through sexual relations, through uh, alcohol, drugs. Um, you know and then we have other issues such as mental health difficulties that young people that are experiencing
1: yeah and Sheikh and in your capacity as a consultant for uh, Unity Family Services uh, what kind of have you had any um, issues come to you regarding males uh, in terms of I mean I guess you've, you talk, you've often talked about uh, husbands uh, do you have any other examples that you
0: can share with us uh, it's just like um uh, men not um, fulfilling their obligations as as husbands basically for example not giving maintenance to their to their wives or their children or it could be where well, they are pro- they are providing but they're not um, playing an active role in um their children's lives especially younger boys and so uh, there's no checks and balances the, you know the kind of maybe the guys mm-hmm. at taxi driver whatever come just he does, you know, he he works he just views his role as i need to work um put a roof over the head put food on the table and that's it it doesn't go beyond that um whereas this whole idea um, and we were kind of talking about that people need to be engaged in their child child's development through the younger years and through the kind of teenage years as well that's kind of missing so it's almost that kind of idea of uh, either lacking um um skills, parental parental skills, or just being um physically there but they're kind of absent.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean I think we talked about the whole idea of absent fathers, um that are just there by almost by virtue of the fact that they're just, you know, earning and but not nothing beyond that. And I mean, mm. I guess just before we just before we broke uh for the the ad break there with man you were talking about toxic masculinity and how we were going to explore that a little bit
2: Yeah I'd like to bring on um, move the discussion on to include uh, this concept which um, I'll explain a little bit more about but you'll have heard a lot more of this idea of masculinity and toxic masculinity and one of the big furores has been in relation to the Gillette advert Um, Many of you will remember the Gillette going, what was the saying growing up, guys? Gillette? Best a man can get. Best a man can get. Um, And I remember that very much in terms of, you know, uh, a very powerful advert and messaging, you know, growing up, uh, I think it was the 80s and 90s. uh, And they released an updated version um, of this advert, which was along the lines of the best a man can be, I think it is. Mm So we just played uh, both adverts Of the Gillette advert Which was um, caused a lot of controversy The old one Which was the tagline Which was the best a man can get And I think that tagline Had been there for about 30 years And they released this one yeah. Called the best a man can be And they received a lot of comments On both sides um, The company said it wanted to hold men uh, to hold each other accountable so the idea is that the men are regulating other men in terms of uh, a lot of the changes and things like the Me Too movement their attitudes etc but others have criticised it as it being quite like a feminist propaganda agenda and that's why the idea of masculinity has um, been raised and, and it's interesting within the advert itself there's um, actually a Muslim reference in there as well They had um, there's a scene from Uh, there's a video that went viral from America, uh, a chap called Ibn Ali Miller who was that man, there was two young boys fighting and he intervened and he told them to stop fighting and they ended up shaking their hands like they were like high school kids and so that was part of the clips in, in the Gillette advert as well and that was back in 2017 and he went on a lot of talk shows and people were very much saying look, you know, you're brave to intervene and turn things around and he um, you know, he said basically as a Muslim that was part of my view but this idea of toxic masculinity so this is something that was developed um, or maybe attributed to a psychologist Shepard Bliss in the 80s and 90s and he um, sought to kind of you know, separate the negative and the positive traits within men and the negative traits he used uh, the term toxic masculinity and by that he said the traits that men have that are toxic are uh, avoiding emotional expression Um, over aspiration for physical sexual and intellectual dominance so that idea of being an alpha male having to control physically sexually intellectually Um, and also the systematic devaluation of women's opinions bodies and sense of self so the idea that um, the man's uh, you know uh, overpowers the woman's sense of herself as well Um, and so some of that has led to the notion that men must act in a very dominant and aggressive manner and have to command respect and so by you know part of that is subjugating women as well so i mean i think that's a massive thing in terms of um both of you look culturally as well many of us in the south or south asian or Indo-Pak sort of background or arab backgrounds this idea of the man um must be strong you know whatever he says goes women's view doesn't matter etc so I'd be really to hint, hint, interested to hear I mean Yasser if I could come to yourself first and then Sheikh Amr. Um this whole idea of this masculinity and toxic masculinity have, have you kind of had to face some of these ideas and concepts I'd really welcome your thoughts and perspectives on this
3: yeah no I heard what you said so in terms of the, your, your question yeah I think I think that issue has been around for a, a number of years this whole kind of toxic ma- ma- masculinity I think that's been around for many many years many generations and um and I think we we're still living with this culture of you know we're talking about you know men avoiding emotional ex- expression and this sexualized behaviour de- devaluing women. Uh, unfortunately, that's very prevalent in the culture that we live in, and sometimes it's attributed to certain communities. But I think it's prevalent in all communities and in the wider wider culture, and that's breeding a particular type of man, you know. Um, and and that comes with that. Then you know certain types of behaviours and attitudes, be that towards other men or, or, or women. In this case, when we're looking at toxic masculinity that's causing that's causing issues.
2: Yeah, so one of the big things in um, in the North England where you are obviously in the media perspective is very much the whole recent you know convictions of grooming and um, you know typically you know the perception that it's many you know asian or pakistani or indian men that are doing a lot of this and feeding into that idea of i guess that sexual prowess as well you know in terms of you know uh, like almost that idea of the man conquers these women and the more women you have that whole culture and i think that's probably something you guys have been dealing with you know on a day-to-day basis over the last few years with this whole grooming aspect do you think that resonates with any of this in terms of this um are there any parallels there
3: and, and in terms of the csc and the grooming issue i think that that's across all communities i don't think that's very much you know like we have had issues in the north of england and in the south of england where we've had you know young asian men particularly of pakistani background who have been uh unfortunately exploiting young young girls but like i said it's not you know they have no exclusivity of this the figures and the statistics will tell you that but i mean looking into our community I think there is within certain segments of our youth, uh, there is that issue, and there there is a problem around this type of, uh, you know, very um, you could say immature behaviour. Uh, that's leading to people taking risks and taking advantage of, of of young girls. And I think what happens is because relationships are, or you could say, n- not seen favourably within our, uh, you know, within these communities. Uh, I think then what people are doing is going around uh, the parents and their communities and unfortunately engaging in in these, you know, quite, um, uh, you know, this indecent behaviour and criminal behaviour, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's where is that attitude, where is that coming from? Many times going back to like the, you know, the, the lives of young men, where are we having these discussions with our youth, our boys around sexuality, around relationships, about uh, how you treat uh, uh, you know, a, a woman. How, I mean, what are the roles and responsibilities within a relationship? Them discussions are not being had and because we're creating this big void, uh, we're seeing some of the results not only within our own communities, but in general population.
2: And Sheikh Amr, one of the things I guess related to this whole topic is the idea of the power dynamic where you know systematically men seem to have more power in and we see some of that with the whole Me Too movement where they're talking about um, both within sort of Hollywood and uh, business, et cetera. Um, and I want to bring it to something that's perhaps close to your sort of environment, which is, I guess, there's also been the parallel sort of scandals or allegations or discussions within Muslim circles, particularly around Muslim speakers, male speakers, who have been accused of being inappropriate in terms of their gender interactions, uh, taking advantage of women who are vulnerable, and, you know, these scholars or activists, etc. So there's been a number of these over the last few years, which is kind of... um, Really divisive as well within our community. So, where where does that all fit in with this? Um, I guess the things that you deal with as as a scholar, as somebody who, you know, particularly a lot of you know, males and females will be coming to you seeking advice, getting you know, about very personal questions and. How does it stop somebody overstepping the mark? And even these are Islamic scholars, so you think you know women are going to them in these safe spaces to get that advice? Um,
0: yeah, I think I think this is why um, it's very important that um, not only do we uh, talk about like um, the prophetic model in terms of how the prophets. I mean, how did how did men women interact at the time of the prophets? Um, we know that, um, for example, that women used to in the prophetic mosque um, at one point there was only one door they didn't have a barrier so how did they how did they like um, you know how did they interact with one another we know of conversations between male and female sahaba male sahaba coming to the that to Aisha so they were obviously interacting communicating um, but they were there. obvious etiquettes There are obvious boundaries I think boundaries is a very important word um, and like these scandals that you're talking about with scholars or so, or, or so on, I think uh, people have to understand that um, the Sharia is, is there as a protection. The Sharia is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows our natures, knows what, what boundaries we need. Uh, and sometimes, although it might seem restrictive, so for example, let's just take a very um, common example, which is handshaking with women. Um, now some people might see that as excessive and they'll say well you know in this culture people don't do it in that, uh, in, that in that manner in a sexual manner or whatever I mean now there's uh, very recently there was I should put it on my, my Facebook there was very recently a discussion about because of all this Me Too movement um, some women actually saying we, we, we think there should be no uh, no physical contact policy at work which is basically um, it's non-Muslim it's non-Muslims now because because we we don't we don't have to experiment before we come to that conclusion. We just say, look, if this is for, if this is what the Sharia is telling us, um, then there's, there's obviously benefit in it because if there is no physical touch, then it can never be misconstrued. It can never never you know can never go wrong. So we have these concepts such as that no physical touch. We also have the concept of um, uh, khalwa, which is basically being alone with somebody of the opposite sex. So there should always be a third party there that just keeps you right. Um, so all of these kind of um, uh, teachings, guidelines that we have, they are for our benefit. Uh, I mean, I remember once, um, um, you know, when I when I when I see uh, like a female, I always um, ensure that somebody comes with her. Um, I'm not comfortable seeing someone alone. I remember once um, um, this female turned up. To the office and uh, and sh- and I said, "Where where's your? Because we'd, we'd, we'd ask that you've come you come with somebody." She said, uh, "Oh, that person cancelled, um, but I'm here." And I said, "I'm, I so- I'm sorry, I can't I can't um, deal with you because uh, I can't you know uh, I can't just be me and yourself." She goes, "It's okay, I trust you," and I said, "It's not about me trusting you or you trusting me. We have to respect the Sharia. You understand? So it's about that. It's about this uh, uh, respecting the Sharia." And that the Sharia is above everyone. And that's why they say, Al khalwa haram, ولو كانت to be uh, Maryam bint Imran. That khalwa is haram, even if it was with Maryam, um, the daughter of Imran. Like, in other words, such a a, a chaste, um, purified soul like Maryam, it would still be not permissible. So even if it's an old person, so the khalwa would still not be permissible. So the thing is, those uh, rules might, might seem excessive, but they're there for our. Um, protection. So obviously, we know about lowering the gaze. So lowering the gaze. So 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 be, so this me this me too movement. For me, anyway, it showed. Look, this is why it's so important to have boundaries. It's so important for there to be that male space and female space, and not to not to cross those because then it's a very blurry
2: line and it can get you into trouble. And that's what's happened. Do you think within the circle of your imam scholar colleagues? That they're aware of this, or there are many that are st- still oblivious or take advantage or put themselves in these sort of situations. I'm just thinking the high profile ones that we've heard about mm-hmm. you you know, immediate reaction is, Yeah, I don't believe it, they must know better, right? Or how you know, try to think through the logic of how do they get themselves, you know, I guess it's human nature, but I guess I'm just interested to see, you know, are the, the people, you know, scholars, etc., are they?
0: yeah you yeah. know I mean look and the scholars are not angels they're not they're not like um sinless, only prophets are sinless um everybody else can sin, so it doesn't matter and this is why you've got to i, I remember reading a uh, reading a really good quote which was um that you should never um become complacent in your, your your affairs because because look at what shait- happened to shaitan in other words shaitan worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a long time but he fell from grace which means that no matter what your track record is you might be a scholar and taught the community for years and years but you cannot, you can fall from grace at any time if you do not respect uh, the sharia and I remember one of the, th- of the things when we were studying we did this counselling course um, um, I remember that our teacher was saying that I think, I can't remember the percentage, it was about 10% of all male counsellors or something end up having affairs with their clients. Because what happens is, in that situation where you're being empathetic towards that person, they've probably had really bad experiences with men, and you become the ideal kind of man, and it becomes very easy to become attached. And if you're trying to be the Good Samaritan, you're trying to help, you might go beyond and might say, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want, like, I don't want to. You know, pull back here. Maybe she's holding my hand out of comfort. I don't want to hold back in case, you know, I break or whatever. But this is where you have to say, I'm sorry, but this is not permissible. The Sharia, this is, you know. So, this is the thing. I think um, those situations, I don't think they could have ar- arisen ha- had the Sharia not been uh, overlooked.
2: Yes, yeah, so can I just ask? Um, I don't know if you come across this, but um, I know a lot of friends um, that are married, when we meet up, sometimes they'll talk about having four wives you know it's <laughs> almost for the man it's that aspirational you know if, if if it ever happened you're the dawn type of thing you know we got four. Mm-hmm. and then uh, you know and the wives you know will, will totally you know shoot it down you know but is that idea is that you know something about you're more of a man if the more wives you have if you had, probably ask Married people <laughs> probably think <laughs> that's so. What, what, are your thoughts on that? I guess because that's a bit of that discrepancy. Because I guess that idea of um, manliness, you know, in terms, of, okay, you, if you're, you know, a fertile man with four wives, then you know, you're more. I you think can, your life expectancy will probably go down. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that kind of thing. I know people say it in jest, but some I know guys will be thinking like that. You know, they say, you know. Um, I, you know that that's an aspirational thing, and it's in the sunnah, etc. Um, you know, and they'll use that argument. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if you've come across anything <laughs> like that, or that, that I mean, even the, the ban. Uh, I guess I'm talking more about the banter, really, or the that thinking behind it, rather than how many carry it through. You know?
3: Yeah, I think in the one thing, thinking is the one thing people carry now. Is it's a totally different thing, isn't it? Really, but I think the the issue here is that. Um, yeah, in the recent years, because of the, the in terms of the male and female percentage within terms of our community, those who are looking to get married, there is a, definitely more females who, who are looking to get married, and hence this issue issues come up around, you know, people, to, you know, men taking on uh, additional wives and stuff, but I think, uh, like Sheikh amr alluded there, I think, you know, many people are just, just you know, having challenges, uh, you know, with the marriages that, that they have in terms of just trying to maintain uh, a good and sound household we, earlier on we talked about you know men not being present at home and absent fathers and you know and Shahami mentioned taxi drivers i i would say it's, it's the same with white collar workers nowadays you know people who are lawyers doctors you know working 60 70 hours a week that are causing these issues within our households but coming back to marriage and stuff when people are struggling to give one wife the time you know, I think three and four, even though they may be idolizing, they're not, and I think the reality is, you know, uh, very far from that. And then those people who have done it, I mean, I have worked with people who have had, uh, you know, two, stroke three marriages, one person actually married four times, but uh, eventually, he rolled back to the one wife, and ended up divorcing the other three. <laughs> you know, just the way, it, just the way that life worked out for him and stuff. And the other three broke down. It is, it's, it's very challenging. And I think sometimes we've got to look at this, the society, you know, where where we're at at this moment in time. And likewise, the needs of our children, you know. Uh, and then many times, are these people marrying people who are? Uh, you know, like single mothers, are they people marrying people who are divorced women, are, we, are they marrying people who are widows, you know uh, many times it's just uh, it isn't it isn't that type of a population that people are looking aspiring to get married to and this is what we're talking about but this is not the prophets and this is the people that they married.
1: Um. So, just before we broke we were talking a lot about toxic masculinity. Um, we're primarily talking about it in the context of older males. Now, yeah, so it's more uh, a question uh, directed to you but if anybody else has any comments please feel free to to chip in but you know a, a big aspect of uh, toxic masculinity starts from a, a younger age not just um you know not just when you're when you're a husband or a father but it can start quite early on uh, a big thing we we often see with the with the Muslim youth is we see this kind of gang culture starting to be adopted and really, you know, quite common in urban areas, especially. Uh, Yasser, have you had any kind of issues or uh, cases where, you know, this kind of uh, phenomena of gang culture has come up in your role as a consultant?
3: Yeah, I think this, it, it, it is prevalent, and stuff, unfortunately, within many of our communities where uh, this drug culture, which goes hand in hand with... Uh, uh, uh with with drugs the mm-hmm. gang culture the drug culture the cse culture the cce which is child criminal exploitation culture uh is very much prevalent in in many communities and folks in here particularly around Muslim communities yes within the neighborhoods I I work with we we have these issues definitely you
1: know, yeah are, you know? yeah I know I mean we we have it here in glasgow as well I mean I was showing sheikh ahmed just at the break there uh a video of you know some of the local youths, I guess, um, having what they seemed to think was as fun, but they were putting, uh, setting off a lot of fireworks and throwing mm. these around a the main street. Um, mm. And I actually happened to be trying to leave the area at that point, and it was like it was like a war zone. Uh, I can't mm. describe it. There mm. was there was police cars going by, and they weren't able to do anything because it was the sheer number of mm. of males and what, uh, you know, I think what we find is that, you know, masjids had to actually formally come out and apologise and not condone the behaviour. Um mm. And I think we're really, we're missing something vital there, you know. Uh, Sheikh Amr, you, do you have any comments to make about that?
0: I think, um <coughs> yeah, I was, I mean, you are showing me that video. Obviously, it's um very unfortunate. <coughs> and it is Muslim youths uh, causing kind of havoc on the streets. I think we have to really... um Ask ourselves, like, why is why is that happening? Where is it coming from? I think one of the things that <coughs> I think we need to work on is, like, I mean, if, if you have no purpose in life, if you're aimless, then you'll just end up going with the flow, whatever seems like a good idea at the time, you'll just kind of follow the crowd. Um, so I think it's, it's very important that um, we, we bring children up from a very young age with a clear... Idea of what they're doing on this planet. fil Allah mm-hmm. said to the angels, "I'm putting a vice vicegerent or a representative on this earth." Um, you know that. I, I mean, I was uh, uh, like before. I was talking about Ertug and how he, from his uh, from his young son, he's giving him very clear. Instructions from six, seven years old, his, what his purpose is. You, you're going to be a a B in the future, which is like a leader. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to, you can't behave like this, you need to behave like this. And So he's from a very young age, c- clearly giving him um, his his role in life. So he, he almost, as a child, knows what I'm supposed to do in the future. And I think um, this is something I remember one of our teachers was, was talking about how um, from a very young age we need to inculcate... Um, in, in young children, especially, I would say for for because we're discussing boys, like what is their what is their mission in life? Mm-hmm. What are they here to do? Are they here just to, you know, eat and play and sleep, um, or enjoy themselves, or are you here for a bigger purpose? Um, so making them for like a very simple thing is, if you're, and again, this is going back to um effective parenting, whereas if you with, with you with you when you're with your child and you walk past a homeless person usually you know give the child some money and say go and give it to that person mm. and then t- and, ha- and then make that conversation this person doesn't have a home it's our job you know to look after those who can't look after themselves the helpless the weak you know you may mention a, a story of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mm. I mean a lot of the times in Ertug when he's, he's having a difficult time who turns up Ibn Arabi mm. and Iriba- Ibn Arabi always takes it back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or to Yusuf Alaihi or one of the Prophets and then you know that's so he's basically guiding him through that this is how you deal with things. So if if we were giving our young um, males, a, a, you know, a purpose, this is your purpose in life. You have to, do, you know, that the prophets came to this earth. Why did they come to the earth? What was their function? It was to take da'wah to 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 people. So you're a you're a you're a person of da'wah, You have a mission in life. You've got a message to li- deliver to people. You're there to stand up. Um, for the week, you're there to stand up and speak the truth, um, to uh, stand up for justice, um, to support your, your your siblings, to support uh, your uh, family members when they're going through difficult times. Now, if somebody believes that is their purpose in life, they're not going to go out in Albert Drive and throw fire and, f- and fire fireworks, yeah. especially at the police, yeah. because yeah. They, if you if they if you've instilled in them that you're a person of dawa. They know that this goes against the whole principle, so it's it's the fact that they 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 they, they don't know what their purpose is. They they they're almost like aimless, um, and this is what a lot of um, if you look at gang culture, people look for belonging a lot of the mm-hmm. time. So anti-social behaviour is, is is boredom. Mm-hmm. You know, people young guys they don't know what do. So they hang about, hang about the streets, and then they get up to no good. So you, you have to channel that um, that youth, that energy. Into the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what I was mentioning in, um, uh, in, in another place about the youth that, you know, how much of our resources do we allocate to the youth? I mean, our community is one of the youngest, uh, about 50% of our community is under 25. So we should be, I mean, uh, I mean, at least half of our effort should be on them. And it's probably more because obviously they need more help than older people. <coughs> so a lot of our energy our programming everything really should be channeling towards that age group you know the, the, those young early years where they need a lot of help and if you if you can, I mean if you look at your own life I mean if, if I look at my own life um, those years were very very important I mean the people that played a central role in your life in your 18 19 20 21 you know um, that gave you advice you remember it till, till this day mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean I I went off to to, to start studying Islamic knowledge at the age of twenty-one. So, those those years before that, they were very important years, you know. So that the if you if you can have these connections when they're at the teenage years, mm-hmm. um, even if they go off, off the rails, if they see you again, they, they, they you know because because they associate you with a good memory, they'll come back to you and say, oh, you know how are you doing this and that, and you can say, oh yeah, what have you been up to? Oh, I got into some trouble. This happened, that happened. All right, okay, why didn't come? You know, so you can you can um. Uh, undo a lot of a lot of things or basically bring people out of maybe the environment they're in just through uh, your your company with them so I think it's that kind of um, idea of um, it, at a very young age having those kind of avenues and also um, people need people need to be inspired um, so connecting people to the to the Prophet as a person the prophet and you know his difficulties his life um Key historical figures. So, wh- I mean, why is this p- program Erto become so um, popular? popular? Yeah. Because a historical figure, is somebody real, mm. who who went through. And all, all the, obviously a lot of it's based in fiction, but um, people can, can can look at that and think, oh, look at look at him, you know. And the thing is, he's, he's a brilliant example because he is he is very macho, he is very <laughs> manly, but he's also very gentle with his wife, with his mother. You know, with 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 uh, women folk, he's very gentle. So he's he's got that mercy in him. He's got that sense of justice in him, and so the, these uh, figures like Salahuddin Al Ayyubi, uh, Umar Ibn Al Aziz, <coughs> the four caliphs. I mean, one really good one would be um, Sultan Mehmed, who who conquered uh, Constantinople at the age mm. of twenty one. You know, so if you've got a, a group of twenty one year olds and you're talking about Sultan Mehmed, and um, you're saying like you know he led. Uh, his army uh, into Istanbul, and you, you guys are playing Fortnite, <laughs> you know. Um, so, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean. So, so it's to show that you know these guys were doing things at at, at those ages. And one of the scholars, one of my, my one of my friends, good colleagues, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Aslam um, who's quite active on Facebook. One of the good, really good things that he does is he's constantly putting up stories of of, of people, mm-hmm. men and women, who who transformed. Other people, or transform societies, and he's putting that up as, as 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 examples of look. Look at these people. Look what they did with their lives. I mean, one simple one was he, he, he put this story up about um, this the scholar who was um, this thief. Um, you know, um, broke into his house and he didn't realise the sheikh was awake. And the sheikh kind of said, uh, you know, he got startled. He goes, he goes, come here, have some tea with me, and basically he he spoke with him the entire, and he said, look, take whatever you need take whatever you need uh, no problem just whatever you need just take it he spent an entire night talking to him and by the morning the guy had done tawbah and changed his ways you know this, no. this is this is a thing that these people um, that, that are doing these things the, the, you know they're our they're our brothers and sisters yeah. they're our ummah you know we've got to We've got to think well. Wh- where is my responsibility? It's not just me going to the mosque and looking after mm-hmm. myself and looking after my little family, but about these guys who are doing these things. Wh- you know, how can I connect with them? How can I reach out to them? Yeah,
1: and I guess, I guess, uh, one thing that ties into is the whole concept of futuwa and, you know, um, Sunnah sports as well. You know, um, and I believe, Brother uh, Yasser, you were at a retreat where uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was also present, and he's he's very big on this whole idea of promoting you know reviving the Sunnah traditions of wrestling and and these kind of archery Mm. and Mm -hmm. horse riding do do you have any comments to make about that in terms of how it could actually be a kind of mechanism by which we you know tackle some of the the gang culture and you know harness that energy and put it towards some good
3: yeah no definitely alhamdulillah I've been uh, you know privileged enough to be able to I mean the retreat is in its uh, Fifth year this year, and I've been looking up to to go to you know four of the the retreats. That's and uh, mashallah, I think you know something that Sheikh Ibrahim has really picked up on is exactly this topic that we're talking about today. is about this absence of key qualities within our young men or older men or whatever it is. We're, you know, we're, we're, there is an absence there uh, in terms of you know be that courage, be that temperance, justice, balance uh, within our youth. And how do we now refoster that?
2: Unfortunately,
3: mm. the bad news is we can't get an injection, you know, f- five, you know, milligram of courage <laughs> or ten milligram of courage. That has to be harnessed and fostered. And one of the ways that is done is through reviving these prophetic disciplines in sports. And the, the fatua retreat that takes place in Turkey every year, mashallah, is where a number of key, mashallah, um, um, you could say, coaches, coaches, um, uh, you know, be that from um, horse riding, jujitsu, archery, uh, swimming, uh, calligraphers come together uh, on a retreat and teach. You know, uh, young people and people who are older like myself uh, these martial sports and 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 these skills in order to harness some of these qualities because you can't. You know, going back to the the issue about Etrigel, you know, it, it's not good enough just looking at things. That people have got got to begin doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if be, young people we want them to become good and great one is they've got to see it but then they've got to re- live the reality of it and stuff and through engaging these type of sports is that where they're really now being put through the mill mm-hmm. you know of uh, trying to harness these these qualities because you have young lads who are 16 years old 17 years old who think they can take on the world mm-hmm. put them in a dojo with another man you know and all of a sudden his legs start shaking yeah. when he knows he, he, he has to now fight with this man in front of other people mm. you know and either he bails out or either he sees this through you know but when he does see it through mashallah he becomes you know a better man for it and I think part of it is is that inshallah we've got to really uh, you know mentor and uh, support our young people and, and really get them to engage in this type of uh, you know, sports and Mashallah Sheikh Ibrahim has really picked onto something very, very important here. Yeah. You know. And this year, Mashallah, Is part of the retreat, I'm going again this year. Sure. This year, Mashallah, we've got people coming from Chicago, America, South Africa, Australia. You know, so this, so Mashallah, this is catching on now. People Amazing. are beginning to see there is an absence of this.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think a big component of these, uh, when you look at, when you kind of distill them down to their core, is this whole idea of discipline and discipline of the self um through these kind of uh, through these through these kind of disciplines you know well disciplines disciplining mm. um I guess that ties into the whole idea of how do we you know you say you find your uh, your son you know it might be a younger brother, maybe a nephew you know, and you find them in this kind of um these kind of you know gangs and groups of youth how do how do you actually go about, you know, uh, not not to discipline, but how do you go about to actually approach the discussion of, you know, bringing them out of that? Because that can be quite a tough thing because, I guess, uh, just by the virtue of being older and not being from their, you know, age group, you suddenly become somebody who's quite, ah, you don't know what's really going on and stuff and mm. um, there's a kind of cockiness associated with it. Uh, how do you actually approach that? And, gen- and generally, you know, just to everybody else as well, like, you know, how, how do you approach discipline um, in a kind of, in this environment that we find ourselves in where, you know, it's not, it's not appropriate, um, and most of us probably would discourage it now, is the whole idea of physical discipline through, uh, through physical means. Um, how do we go about approaching discipline?
3: I think the key word here is just listening and understanding the lives of young people. You know, like, it's it's hard being a parent nowadays, but it's also very difficult being a young person uh, in the day and age that we're living in and stuff. And I think when you're talking about gang culture and people uh, being on the streets, coming from quite difficult backgrounds, we have to listen to their stories. We have to understand who these children are, what their yeah. background is. They didn't choose in some ways to end up here, their circumstances in some ways pushed mm-hmm. them to be in that environment where they've now <coughs> befriended these people who are in some ways exploiting them or they're exploiting uh, these other you know like young people so yeah so so we're not preaching you know preaching isn't gonna get us anywhere. Yeah. what we've got to look to do is befriend, mentor support, encourage these you know these people, and gradually you know to take them steps back towards you know, a life which, you know, which is, you know, more, you know, like worthy of 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 living, yeah. you know, and, and traditionally going back to the point that we haven't got now people, you know, we had the, the coal mines, we had the mills, mm-hmm. we had the boatyards where, you know, the shipyards where people were mentored, young boys were brought into environments with older men and they were mentored. We don't have, you mm-hmm. know, places like that anymore, you know, so so where our, are our youth going? Our mosques are not providing places where we have a multitude of professionals in our communities who are not in some ways offering their services to our youth to say you know I made it so can you and I'll mm. show you the way and I'll support you along the way it's not happening
1: yeah no so that that connection needs to be made and without a doubt yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, man, how about yourself uh, you know you're father to two sons uh, as well how do you go about disciplining uh, your children like what's your approach
2: <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's uh, I, I guess I'm still learning in terms of <clears throat> often, Because I think it's difficult because in terms of my day job, you know, you, you learn about principles and you can often advise other parents. So you, you're you always taught, you know, the narrative is that, you know, you need to, as they're growing up, boundaries are important because by its nature, children want to push the boundaries. And actually it is beneficial when they, they're looking for boundaries and that you should be like firm fair and consistent you know in terms of you know what boundaries you set whether that's to do with screen time or going out or studying or whatever it is and I think that's a, it kind of makes sense but it can be really challenging and I think a lot of it depends on the temperament of the child mm-hmm. um, and it's really understanding that and being able to then um, adapt what that child needs and all children will develop in, in different ways um, so I th- I think in terms of my attitude, I think there's a lot of challenges. Um, I'm still, you know, my son's eldest son is 12, so he's kind of hitting that age where, you know, uh, you know, Humbler, you know, is good, but it, with all these children, and I know from growing up myself, you know, there'll be a bit where you want to uh, oppose authority or do things what you you know they don't want to do things, or so they'll. How do you how do you think you'll approach that? You want to know the length of my stick, or you want to? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Um, I think it's it's difficult because it's. it's, um, I think I I need a bit more courage as a as a parent to allow them to make mistakes, Mm. and that's where Mm. I think I'm kind of very much, you know, trying to see two or three steps ahead and say, look, you know, this is good for you, Mm. hopefully, Mm. and I'm very much. I, I've not got there yet But I, I think I have to let him Make his own mistakes as well Which is really difficult Because you know Especially when you s- Deal with a lot of your other young kids You can mm. see where it goes But in terms of positives I think as a family We try and find opportunities To go to Go with other families That have got good, good Sort of um, similar values You know where there's Retreats or camps Or mm. programs Where we try and take the family So they're very familiar Within that Muslim environment So, it's, so that's subliminal things Um you know he started he does the list for school so again it's trying to give some of the educational knowledge um and he gets involved with things like young muslims as well which is you know a, a bit a bit here and there so i i think we're trying to do that but not force it too much but i think uh, um my my i think my personal attitude mainly growing up i think with my friends that i saw and some were very religious some were doing everything they needed to they were good at heart but they would smoke weed, they would do all these other things um, I think my philosophy is after the age of like 12 or 13 they're going to do what they're going to do they're gonna, or they're going to find ways of doing it mm-hmm. So I guess you know we've been trying to front load up until the age of 11, 12, give them as much as we can, tell them what the, you know they need to do and at this age I think it will be very much more they'll be more selective and yeah. um, you know so uh, depending what phase they're in so I think it's um, I think it's a challenge as a parent uh, to find the right thing to do. Mm. Um, But yeah, no, that's why I'm in these sort of discussions, I'm learning as much as I can. (laughs) But I think, you know, it comes back to the environment you set at home, which I know Brother Yasser's talking a lot about with Sheikh Amr as well, about your environment, your company, the influences. yeah. And then you know these people will, you know, the kids will go their own way, yeah. and you can't. I mean, I I resist the urge to micromanage them, or or yeah, yeah. for the foreseeable, you know, forever, because yeah. it's not going to be possible. No, and no, you're right. Especially when you hit uni. Yeah. You know, these kids are going to do whatever they're going to do. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. if you're if it's too strict and too controlled, then you know they almost go the other way. Other they way, have to yeah. just. And I've I've actually dealt with a lot of patients that have gone mm. the other way. You know where. You know, it's very strict religious Muslim households, not allowed to do anything, particularly girls um, have to stay at home. And they had their first night out at uni. They got pregnant, got ostracized from the family. Then all the domino effect that came out of there. And that was basically, it's, it was the first release that they had. They met a guy, yeah. slept with him the first night, you know, and then got pregnant and all the issues that came out of that. And that was really from such an extreme upbringing, strict... Yeah. And so that doesn't work either. It'll just catch up on you, I think. Yeah, and Sheikh Ahmed,
1: do you have any comments to make?
0: Um, I think I think what what are saying I think is 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 important. Just to to listen, um, and I think that this is the thing that um, if if you're if you're if you're constantly talking um, as parents, you need to do this, you need to do that. You have absolutely no idea what is going on in that young person's mind, and I think a lot of, a lot of the thing a lot of the trick is to ask kind of open questions and. And really just let them pour out what's going on inside um, because the thing is they're going to if they don't do it to you they'll be telling their friends they'll be doing it online with somebody there's there's, there's going to be some outlet or there might be <coughs> somebody of the opposite gender so um, you want to kind of have an idea of what's what's going on now they're not going to do that unless they feel comfortable and they feel that, that they're not going to get judged or been given into trouble for it so I think a lot of the times is <coughs> allowing them to just talk you listening and just 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 kind of asking questions like well that's interesting so just acknowledging that you know um, okay you, you have got a right to have that opinion but then just kind of challenging it in a very soft way by saying well well, have you thought about from this perspective or have you thought about from that perspective and why did you th-? you know so you're just kind of um, almost playing like the devil's advocate in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, what you're doing is you're you're very uh, subtly guiding them. So it's like you know there's a there's a there's a very explicit way of doing it. You're going to do it my way, or that's it. You know, blah blah blah. Or you can do it in a very subtle way where you've just kind of they they almost feel as if it's their decision. So they've come to that conclusion. But what you've done is you've kind of facilitated and pushed them and steered them towards that that kind of conclusion but it's, they've, they've got ownership of it and because they've got ownership of it they're more likely to, to do it and then also you have a good idea of how they're thinking and it's almost like you, you're now playing the role of um, shaping their thoughts so they've got their thoughts and what you're doing is like like the the, the blacksmith, you're, you're kind of banging the, the iron into shape and um, so you're just kind of pushing it towards w- where you think it needs to go, I think uh, uh, a man's uh, comment about having the courage to let them make mistakes is very important um, because from an Islamic perspective, once they get to puberty, they're now adults. they're actually responsible for their own choices at that point, although we might still view them as children. Um, so I think you still, you have to start to um, give them that respect that you are. and I should just say to them, you're a, you're a man now, you're a woman you know you, you actually use those words that you' you're going into manhood now. You need to um, uh, become more responsible for yourself. This is your responsibility. And actually giving them responsibility, allowing them sometimes. So if you're, just a simple thing, let's say, it's, let's say you're going on a family holiday. You could just say, right, it's your responsibility. You need to go away and book the flights and organise this and organise that. So actually just giving them that, um, you know, role of, okay, this is now your responsibility. So if they say, right, Dad, what are we doing today? Well, you tell us you you're the guy you're in, you're in, you're in, you're in charge of um, of our schedule, and then and But thing is, I'm going to ask you why you've put that there, and why we're we doing that, and why we're we not doing something else. So you know, so you're you're just kind of almost like passing over the Bantan, mm. um that look and, and just things like salah. So when it comes to prayer time, hopefully you've been praying in jamaat. But then when they come of age, you lead the prayer, you do the adhan. It's your job. You, you now need to step up because this is what you're going to be doing. I've been doing it all this time. Now I'm giving that job to you. You know, So everything, you know, you're kind of gently pushing them towards um, all of these kind of um, roles. So you're preparing them in a very subtle and gentle way. And, and they will make mistakes. And um, it's also important to teach them it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. One of the problems, I think, with our generation was there was a fear of making mistakes. Um, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but it was like... You know, oh, look at other people's sons; they're doing this, they're doing that. Look at you, you know. So, um, or if you messed up, you know, other people like use you as an example. But you have to have that that kind of courage. That it doesn't matter what other people think. You know, I'm your father, I'm your mother, um, and as long as I'm okay with it, you shouldn't care what other people think. And it's okay. You, you made a mistake; it's fine. I've made hundreds of mistakes in my life. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. not going to make mistakes, you're never going to learn. So, <coughs> almost like you're building their confidence you know we were very good at at, um, destroying people's confidence Mm. um, because this is one of the things uh, one of the the first videos I did in the Good Life series was never say never um, and it was targeted to parents I said uh, if you're constantly telling your kids don't do this don't do that don't say this don't you know what happens is they just learn. Okay, I don't do anything. So then, when they get older, you say, "Why are you not doing anything? Why I, Why is my kid not doing anything? Because your whole entire life you've conditioned them not to do anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So why are you now surprised? You know, and this and this is the thing. Like, job um, job You know, be, be quiet and just sit down. Fine, I'll sit down. And then okay, but later on, is that going? To, that is that quality going to, um, you know, be useful for me in my later life? It's not because when I, when you get older, you'll be the person that you just won't give your opinion because you've been conditioned like that mm-hmm. so I think you have to really think of everything that you're doing to your children what's the long term um, effects of that so I think um, that the idea of that idea of seven years of play seven years of teaching and then seven years of um, befriending I think is the model that we kind of we kind of need to um, work from
3: so I think okay. just on that point just on that point I don't mind saying just adding on to that really in terms of the, the, I think it's important as much as we encourage the young people to work on themselves, I think likewise parents mm-hmm. need to remember to continue to work upon themselves.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, if,
3: there's a, if there's a father or a mother who's really struggling with, let's say, issues around anger, you know, they need to work upon that because many times parents bring their children to people like myself and say, he's got a problem with anger and we don't know where it's come from. And when you begin to ask the child, where is this coming from? They'll point the fingers directly at the parents and say, "Them. my dad's mm-hmm. like that. My mom's mm-hmm. got that kind of very hot kind of attitude. Likewise, when it comes to solving problems, you know what I mean? Many times parents are not, not good problem solvers. You know, like they're very impulsive in their decision making, mm-hmm. when it comes to finances, when it comes to relationships. So I think it's gotta be twofold as much as brother Emma and said before as well. As parents, we're learning We've got to continue to learn, to develop ourselves, to then in so, inshallah, so inculcate them skills, them qualities and the behaviours into our children. Mm.
2: So Shama. just thank you so much to all our guests and to all you as the listeners. Um, if you want to leave your comments, just visit us at our Facebook page, Radio Ramadan. And you can listen again to us at our website, www.radioramadan.scot.com or you can download the podcast and lots of other podcasts on SoundCloud, and you just search for Arc Radio. But jazakallah khair once again, and until the next episode, asalamu alaikum.